This morning in Mark chapter 2, I want to just invite you to pay special attention to Jesus in this story. Uh, to pay special attention to the things that he says, to the things that he does. Um, I don't know if you ever had a teacher like this in middle school or high school or college. Uh, like They'd kind of be in the middle of a lecture or middle of like reading through a chapter and they'd say, hey, pay attention to this. It's going to be on the test. Didn't you always love those teachers? Like They were always your favorite. Even if they were terrible teachers, you still remember them and love them. And uh, there was something about them like paying, like drawing our attention to, to, to really hone in to the things that were being said because I knew it was important. And I kind of feel that about Mark chapter 2, that if you come in this place and you're curious about Jesus, if you're curious about his ways, his heart, who he really is, then pay attention to Mark 2. Pay attention to things that he says. Pay attention to the things that he does. I think we're going to see a lot of beautiful things about Jesus this morning, but I want, us, I, I want it to kind of revolve around this great truth, and I don't want us to miss it. So I'm going to say this from the very beginning. The, the truth that we're going to see in these five verses this morning is that Jesus loves sinful people. Jesus loves sinful people. Jesus loves sinful people. And he is about inviting sinful people into life with him. Jesus loves sinful people. And he's about inviting sinful people into life with him. I want to read our text this morning. And we're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse. But I just encourage you to look with me in Mark chapter 2 and verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed Jesus. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked Jesus' disciples, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of God from Mark 13. I want us to get lost in the story this morning. To see ourselves, I want us to, to feel what was going on in this story. Let's walk through this verse by verse and picture ourselves in this story. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him. And he began to teach them. I want us to notice the, the kindness which Jesus showed to those who were interested in him. I love that we're going to see this all throughout scripture that when the, the crowds came to Jesus, he always responded to them. You know, I was reading this this week and I just kept thinking, we don't know Jesus' plans for this day. We don't know the things that he wanted to get done. But we know in Mark chapter 2 verse 13 that Jesus went down to the beach. I don't know if you've ever gone to the beach before. I don't know if you're a Florida beach person or a Hawaii beach person or whatever beach person you are. Uh, if you've ever gone to the beach, have you ever had one of those moments where you just like got up and you went down to the shoreline? <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do when we go to the beach. I love to, to, to wake up and just to go and to stand where like the, the sand meets the water and just to pray. I love to, to look across the water and just to kind of see the sky dissolve into the water. I love to just listen to the waves roll in. I love Jesus so much. We have no idea what he was doing this day. 
We don't know if he was going to the, the shoreline to pray, to fish, to swim. We don't know what he was doing. But we knew he went and he stood on the shoreline. And as he was down there, people saw him and they came to him. And I love this detail. It says that, that Jesus noticed them and that he taught them. Came to them and Jesus taught them. And I want us to notice the availability of Jesus, the priority that people always had in Jesus' ministry and his life. You know, when someone of influence, when someone who is important, when they stop what they're doing to notice you, to speak to you, to acknowledge you, to be present with you. There's something about that person, that moment that is humbling. And it gives you this amazing appreciation for people. So let me tell you this kind of example from my life. When I was in elementary school, I went up to St. Louis with my family and we were going to watch the Cardinals play the Braves. Any of you guys baseball fans? And in the early 90s, it was like the game to be at, right? Cardinals versus Braves. And this is when the Braves were actually good. And I remember we, we went there and... I was a huge Ozzie Smith fan, and I still believe that he's probably the greatest defensive shortstop to ever play the game. If you don't know Ozzie, just one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. And I remember he had this restaurant in St. Louis. And so we were gonna go eat and then spend the night, and the next day we we're gonna get up and go to the game. And so I remember we went to his restaurant and we like walked in, we saw all of his golden gloves, and we saw all these bats and, and all this like memorabilia, his jerseys, and we were just like in awe, these like elementary school kids. And I remember we were sitting down and eating and uh, we heard that Ozzy was in his restaurant. We're like, no way, we gotta meet this guy. And so we heard that he was kind of like in the center room of his restaurant, it's kind of walled in. And so we went and you could like kind of see through the windows and we could see him and we were just like doing everything we could to get to him. And the employees at the restaurant just made it abundantly clear that we were not gonna meet Ozzy that day. <laughs> so we were just dejected and we went down and sat down. And I remember a few minutes later, he walked out the door and we were like yelling his name and trying to get his attention. He looked at us and smiled and just kind of walked out the restaurant. And a few minutes later, we got our check and we left and we were out in the parking lot and we see this black convertible pull up. <laughs> this guy has his sunglasses on and he, he looks at us and he honks his horn and he waves at us and we realize it's Ozzy. We're like looking around, who's he honking at? Is it? And we were the only ones in the parking lot. We realized that he was honking and waving at us. And so my mom pulled out her Polaroid and took a picture of Ozzy waving at us. And, and I remember just this amazing moment when this like greatest baseball player noticed us. And I was thinking about in this moment what it would have been like for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, literally God in the flesh, whose reputation was spreading like wildfire. People had heard all over the city that he had been healing people with leprosy, that he'd been casting out demons, that he'd been forgiving people of their sin. And you can just imagine the, the things that people said last week, we have never seen anything like this. And this Jesus was not too busy to notice the crowds. And you need to know that if you're interested in Jesus, you are Jesus' priority. If you're breathing, you are Jesus' priority. Keeps going in verse 14. As Jesus walked along, as he walked along the beach, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now tax collectors, it's hard for us to fully relate to, to what these guys were in our context because it's kind of so foreign. 
When Mark chapter two was written, and bear with me for just a minute, it's gonna make sense to the story. We have to kind of understand this. Uh, in Mark chapter two, when, when this was written, Rome was in charge of the entire ancient world. And so it would be like America being in charge of the entire world. And so the way that it would work is that, all, uh, is that Rome would hire people from each individual country to collect taxes from the different countries. So it would be like us hiring people from Canada to collect taxes from the Canadians and people from Mexico to collect taxes and people from France and all over the world. This is kind of the picture of the Roman government. They would subcontract with their own people to collect taxes. Now here's the problem with tax collectors. They were notorious for overtaxing and pocketing the profit. So if, if Rome charged, let's just throw out a number, if, if Rome charged us $200, so often what tax collectors would do is they would charge $800. They would rob their own people, their own citizens, their own cousins and neighbors that they profited off of their own people. And it wasn't that they were just kind of crooks and it was also that they had, they had partnered with the Roman government. And if you lived in the Middle East in this time, if you were a good Jewish man, a good Jewish woman, you hated the Romans. You were siding with the enemy. You were siding with the very people that were oppressing your own people. There were all these social and spiritual implications for tax collectors. And so if you were a tax collector, you basically cut ties with everyone. Uh, it was so bad, I learned this this week that tax collectors were not even allowed to appear in court. It's like, they were so bad, they couldn't even serve on jury duty. It's like, can you imagine? They weren't allowed in a synagogue. When you signed up to be a tax collector, you were cutting yourself off from society. You were completely outcast. The only people who would relate to you, connect with you, eat dinner with you, drink coffee with you were other tax collectors. You meant nothing to no one. You were hated and despised. Text tells us that Levi was a tax collector. Tells us his dad's name. And tells us that he set up his tax collector booth right by the, the lake or the Sea of Galilee. I thought this was so fascinating this week as I was reading. Just a couple of weeks earlier, do you know that the four fishermen that used to fish on the, the Sea of Galilee, do you know what their names were? A couple weeks ago we talked about Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These were the guys that fished on the Sea of Galilee. And what, what I learned this week is that Levi was, was more than likely the very guy who overtaxed Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The very guys who would work long days and to support their families, put their kids through school to put food on the table, and then every day after work they would pass this crook named Levi. Would steal from them. Can you imagine what they were feeling when Jesus invites Levi to be a part of their team? Can you imagine the team dynamics? When the man who's been stealing from you gets a desk right beside yours at work? Can you imagine one of the most hated people in your life when they get put in your dorm room? Move across the hall in the apartment, pledge your sorority. Can you imagine what Peter, Andrew, James, and John were feeling as this crook was added to their team? And I love the words that Jesus speaks to Levi. He just is so simply, so beautifully, just says, Follow me. Follow me. 
And Jesus says so much here by saying so little. Have you ever been chosen? You ever been picked? You ever been selected for anything in life? For college or for a team, for a position? There's something about someone going, I want you. That just does something in us. It speaks value. It speaks that we, we, we matter. It speaks that we're wanted. And I love all the things that Jesus is speaking to Levi when he shows up to him in the middle of work one day and says, follow me. I wonder if Levi had ever heard of Jesus. I wonder if he knew what he was capable of. I wonder if he knew what he was doing. I wonder what compelled Levi to get up from his tax collector booth and follow Jesus this day. I wonder if he was tired of being hated. I wonder if he was tired of everywhere he went being separated. I wonder if he was tired of being lonely. Have you ever been lonely? I wonder if he was tired of his choices that he had made standing over him, defining him. I wonder if it was just because he met God. Maybe he saw for the very first time what God was actually like. And I love that he listened to Jesus. I love the way that he responded to Jesus. I was thinking about Court and I, we're in the middle of you know, raising two kids and our, our oldest, Finley, she's, almost, she's a little over two right now. And I think about all the ways that she responds when we tell her to do something. And so we'll tell her, we'll tell her so often to pick up her toys or to, to, to do something. And, and so often she just has like this wide range of ways that she'll respond. Sometimes we'll tell her to do something and she'll run in a room and shut her door. <laughs> Sometimes we tell her to do something and she'll go hide under the table and thinks that if she disappears, we can't see her. Sometimes she just looks us right in the eyes and tells us no. Sometimes she does exactly what we ask her to do. And I go, you just see the full range of our response. And I want us to notice this, that Jesus does not force Levi to follow him. He doesn't get up and take him by the ear, or take him by the hand and says, hey, you're a corrupt, evil person. You need to follow him. He looks at him and he says, I want you to follow me. And there was something in Levi's heart, there was something in his life that thought, man, I cannot pass up this Jesus. I kept thinking about the courage that it took to step out into the unknown. Once you left being a tax collector, you can never return. It was such a highly sought after job. When he got up and followed Jesus this day, he was cutting ties from his career. Think about the courage it took to step into a group of people that he had hurt and wronged. I think about the courage it took to leave a lifestyle. And to Levi, Jesus Christ was worth it. And I think it's so important, I think we have to understand this, that, that when Jesus called Levi, where was he? Where was he? He was at his tax collector's booth. And I, I think this is so powerful. We have to understand this because if we get this wrong, we mess up everything there is to know about the gospel. That he came to Levi and called him when he was in the middle of his sin. That he was literally in the act of stealing, that he was in the act of choosing what he knew would further separate him from people and God. And it was in the middle of him sinning that Jesus Christ came, found him, and invited him into more fulfilling life. And I go, this is who Jesus is. And this is what Jesus does. 
And if you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to know this, that Jesus loved Levi and he loves us when we're at our very worst. Jesus loves us when we're far from God. Jesus loves us in the middle of our sin. Jesus loves us when we've wrecked our lives and we've wrecked other people's lives. Jesus Christ, the creator of it all, loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And he comes to us. And he says, do you want more than what you're living right now? Are you tired of of your choices standing over you and condemning you? Are you tired of your choices separating you? You need to know that I am God and I've come to liberate you. Come and follow me. For those of us who are Christians, I invite you to, to think about what your life was like when Jesus found you. It's like, Kenneth, think about the type of guy you were when Jesus found you. Donetta, think about the type of woman you were when Jesus found you. John, think about the type of guy you were when Jesus found you. All around the room, Houston, think about the kind of guy you were when when, when Jesus found you. For those of us who are Christians, think about this. I want you literally to go back when, when Jesus started to get a hold of your life. Did you have everything figured out about God, Greg, when you started following Jesus? Burton, were you morally flawless when Jesus got a hold of your life? Lisa, did you have the Bible memorized when Jesus started following, when you started following Jesus? I, 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 I look at my life. And when I started following Jesus when I was 11 years old, my life actually went, got a lot worse. That when I was 11, I started following Jesus, like my language got worse for a long time. And my selfishness and my pride and my envy and all these things skyrocketed as I started following Jesus. And I look at my life now and I still have all these just terrible, sinful things tucked away deep inside of my heart that I'm still waging war against. And I tell you this because those of you who are not Christians, you need to know that when Jesus gets a hold of us, we are far from perfect. And when Jesus gets a hold of us, we still don't have our lives figured out and we still don't have him figured out. But Jesus Christ is in the business of coming to people who've messed up their lives and inviting them into life with him. Inviting them into more. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Have you ever been given a gift that you did not deserve? That you did not earn? Have you ever been given a gift that was simply from the kindness of someone else's heart? Ever received a gift just because of someone's deep love for you? For some of you, maybe you experienced it like this. Maybe your parents paid for your college. A gift you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. Maybe some of you, your parents are paying for your school right now. Maybe some of you, 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 someone in your family bought you a car, took you on a trip that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve. I've experienced so many of these just undeserved gifts in my life. I think about the summer of or I guess it was the, um, the spring of 2007. 
There's a good friend of mine. He knew that I was a huge Kentucky Wildcat fan. And the SEC tournament was in Nashville until he called me up and he said, hey, I've got two tickets for you to go to the SEC championship game. Give it to you for free. I'm like, wow. Didn't do anything to deserve it. Didn't do anything to earn it. I think about my wife on her fifth wedding anniversary. I, I walked downstairs into our garage and I received the greatest gift that a man could ever get. A chainsaw. And... And I remember just feeling so loved by her in that moment, like, <laughs> done nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. I go, what happens when you receive a gift that you don't deserve, that you haven't earned? You respond with gratitude and appreciation and affection and love and thanks. And I want us to see this, that, that Levi had encountered Jesus Christ. He encountered God in the flesh and he encountered his grace. He experienced the kindness of God, the, the love of God, the grace of God. And he understood that, that, that God had met him in his sin, not with condemnation and not with further separation, but with inclusion and forgiveness and grace. Levi experienced the grace of Jesus at his purest, at its finest. When he was far from God, God forgave him. And what I want us to see in this story is that we matter to Jesus. We matter to him. I love that it tells us that he sat down and he had dinner with Levi and his buddies. We matter to Jesus. I just kept thinking, Mark chapter one, it could have started so differently. It could have said this, Mark chapter one, verse one could have said, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Messiah, the son of God, he came, he died on a cross, and that's that. But instead, Jesus lived his life on earth because he wanted us to understand that God is approachable, that God longs to sit at the table with us, that God longs to make friends out of sinners. And I love what Levi does in response to the great grace of Jesus Christ. He throws a party and he invites all his friends. He throws a party for Jesus and he invites all his friends. I go, man, when you've encountered the grace of God, when you've let the grace of God touch the deepest places of your sin and your life, when you let the grace of God penetrate to the deepest places of your heart, this is how you respond to God. In gratitude. And an invitation. I think about one of my good buddies who's here with us this morning. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But I was having coffee with him a couple of months ago. And he was telling me that, that for the first like, period of his life, for the first 20 years of his life, he lived for himself. He did exactly what he wanted. And then got a hold of, God got a hold of his life. He experienced the grace and the kindness of God. And I remember we were sitting at Starbucks having a cup of coffee and he said, and for the rest of my life, I'm gonna give my life to God. I spent all my life taking and now I'm gonna give. One of the guys in this room, he takes one of his vacation days once a month to go and to serve the people in this city that live on the streets. When you encounter the grace of God, it changes you. 
And I think so often we, we come to Jesus with all these stipulations. We feel like we have to clean up our lives and have everything figured out. We have to be morally flawless. And Jesus is in the business of helping us understand that he meets us in our sin. And there's something about us understanding that moment, that transaction, where he actually meets us that fills our hearts with this deep desire to live with him, live for him. There's something about his grace that changes us like shame never could. The grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 16, it says that when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Pharisees, we're going to talk about these guys a whole lot, but I want, what I want us to understand about the Pharisees is that these were a group of men and women that took pride in their own ability to keep the commands of God. It was all about what they had done, all about what they could bring to the table. Their whole lives were about presenting their flawless keeping of the law to God. But one of the things that we're gonna see about the Pharisees is that although they were going through the motions, their hearts were so far from God. It was all an act, it was all a performance. You see, Pharisees had no need of Jesus because they didn't think they were sinful. They had no need of forgiveness because they thought their own righteousness had earned right standing with God. It was all about their performance. And I love verse 17. And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, so this is so funny that that the tax collectors asked the disciples and Jesus interrupts and answers for them, probably because the disciples have no idea why Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus said to them, I love this, this is one of the most beautiful lines in all scripture. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I don't know what you think of when you hear of sinners. But I think what he's wanting us to understand is that this is all of us. This is all of us. Sin just simply means to miss the mark. And in God's eyes, all of us have missed the, the mark. All of us have gone astray, that we've all deviated from the life that God intended for us to have with him. And we do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Just this weekend, we put the kids down for a nap and I'm sitting at the table trying to pray, trying to read, just to kind of have some time with God and Court can just tell that something's going on. So she comes to me and she says, hey, what's going on? There's, isn't it true that like your wife just has this ability to like read the bull crap in your life? She knows when things are going on and, and she looks at me and she just says, there's something going on, what's going on? And I just said, man, I, I, I hate just how sinful my heart is. <laughs> how selfish, how self-centered, how this world, I still want it to revolve around me. And I'm just painfully aware of this weekend how sinful I am. And I love Mark chapter two because what it says is that although Brandon is a sinner, Jesus has come for Brandon. Although Chris is a sinner, Jesus has come for Chris. Although Parker is a sinner, Jesus has come for Parker. Although Brock is a sinner, Jesus has come for Brock. 
I think it's so interesting in this story that the only people who refuse to sit at the table with Jesus, who refuse to know him, have fellowship with him, were the ones who thought their own actions, their own obedience, their own trying had earned God's favor, had earned God's forgiveness and friendship. The Pharisees had no need for Jesus because in their eyes, they weren't sick. In their eyes, they didn't need anything or anyone. But the ones who were willing to have fellowship with Jesus, to sit at the table, to be friends with the king, the ones who received his grace at its purest and finest, were the ones that knew they had messed up, were the ones that knew they missed the mark, and yet who understood that God still wanted them. So what do we do with this story? Where do we end this morning? If you are not a follower of Jesus, I hope you know this. I hope you saw this in the text. I hope you heard this, that that Jesus loves you so much. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that the king of the universe, the God of the heavens who created this all, he loves you just as you are. And he's inviting you into a greater life with him. And if you look at your life and you go, I want more. And if you have a hard time believing that this is who God is, every single Christian in this room has a hard time believing this is who God is, that his grace, his kindness, that his ways could actually be like this. But this is who he is. It's written down in scripture for all the times for us to know. And if you look at your life and you go, man, I'm a sinner. But I want to know Jesus. You need to know that he wants you on his team. He wants you to live life with him. So here in just a minute, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And if you are interested in taking a next step with Jesus, if you want to know more about him, give your life to him today. Follow him. Separate the the person that you were from the the person that you want to be in God. Make a clear cut from the person you were and start following and let Jesus radically reorient your life. And if you want to talk or pray, if you have questions, there'll be some men and women that respond, man, and we'd love to talk and pray and help you. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, I was reminded this week just how easily we forget about where God found us, where we were when God got a hold of us, the things that we thought, the things that we did. And I think so often as Christians, when we forget about the person that we were when Jesus found us, we tend to not be compassionate. We tend to be unforgiving and judgmental, or even worse, we forget too often that we still need Jesus. And if any of those things are true, as we break the bread and drink the cup, as we are reminded that Jesus Christ died for sinners, people that you came with, man, gather in groups and just confess. Confess the areas that you failed. Jesus is not surprised. He's not disappointed. He knows where you failed. He he loves you still. Confess and repent repent. He loves you. He really does. You see, but for those of us who are Christians, it's more than just about us remembering and being grateful for what he's done. I kept thinking in Mark chapter two, you just see the power in an invitation. I kept thinking, who are the people in our lives, in our circles that just need to be invited into more? Who are the next door neighbors that just need to be invited to church? 
Who are the people that live across apartment complex for us that just need to be invited over to have a meal? Who are the people in our lives that just need to know that they matter to God and they matter to God's people just because they breathe, just because they're alive? And Levi got it. He experienced the grace of Jesus and he could not help but bringing his friends, inviting his friends to fellowship, to friendship with Jesus. And so for those of us who are Christians, my question for us this week as we leave this place, as we leave this place to live on mission with Jesus is who are the people that I'm gonna invite? Who are the people in my life that just need to be invited into more? What will I do? This is Mark chapter two. Let's pray.